1: welcome to the Teaching Science in 3D podcast. I'm Erin Sadler from Sadler Science. And I'm Nicole Van Tassel with iExplore Science. We're here
0: to cut through the confusion to help science teachers like you make science relevant and engaging with student-driven instruction. We know that when students take ownership of their learning, teaching can be simple and fun. Thanks for being here and let's dive into the episode. Hey there, this is Nicole Van Tassel from iExplore Science and I'm just hopping in to invite you to check out an upcoming opportunity to connect with fellow three-dimensional teachers who like just get it while also growing professionally to become the 3D teacher and leader that I know you are meant to be. I know what it's like to be like the only one in your school, whether it's the only science teacher period, like pretty much been there, or the only science teacher that's really ready for and excited about student-driven science learning. It's really hard doing it all alone, from the actual lesson planning and instructional design to just traversing like all of the hiccups and challenges and new experiences that come along with this type of teaching. And I found it's equally hard and maybe this connects with you, but it's equally hard when you have those really great days and there's not really anybody who you can celebrate with, like nobody really gets what a great thing happened in your classroom. So I created the Be Curious cohort program last year to give teachers like you a space to really fill your cup, to be held accountable in like the good kind of way, to help you stay motivated and really ahead of the game, and also to help you learn and grow like while you're at it. So if you're looking for a community-focused program this school year designed to really elevate your teaching and help you bring a truly three-dimensional, student-driven approach to your classroom, please check out the Be Curious community cohorts. You can get on the waitlist as well as view all of the details, the nitty-gritty stuff by visiting iExploreScience.com slash cohorts, and of course we'll put that in the show notes. Um, and early enrollment opens late August and the program is limited to six teachers so while we won't start until September um, we are going to start enrolling in August and again I like to keep the group small and intimate because we really get to know each other and it you know it's about the community if you have any questions please reach out but again you can learn more about the Be Curious community cohorts if you visit iexplorescience.com backslash cohorts all right back to the show This is Nicole Van Tassel with iExplore Science, and I'm here with Erin Sadler with Sadler Science. And you are listening to the Teaching Science in 3D podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. And today we're going to be talking about how we incorporate the science and engineering practices into our classroom. Yep. Yeah, we will. (laughs) (laughs) So we always kind of have this conversation during this time of year, because this is when all of the scientific method lesson plans and units like come out of the woodwork and people start asking about how do you teach scientific method and what's the best way and, and all of those things. And it kind of makes me cringe a little bit. I've, I've learned to, you know, pass by most of those posts on Facebook because I can only do so much. And I, <laughs> I can only say this, I don't know, say the same thing in, the, in, in a group so many times, but basically the gist is
1: please stop teaching the scientific method <laughs> yeah and we've talked about that so many times and I would have to say like that's probably the most controversial thing that we say like ever is like don't teach the scientific method I've gotten um I have a blog post like explaining that yeah. and I've gotten like so many hate comments on it like you oh should gotcha.
0: Yeah. So Aaron and I, maybe a year year ago, maybe even two years ago now, we did a a Facebook live where we talked about why not, why you shouldn't teach a scientific method. And we will link to that. It's it's posted on YouTube now. So you can watch the recording of that. But I, I think that's the only video I have that I, on my YouTube, not that I have a huge YouTube audience, but that's the only video I have that has like a couple either mean comments or or dislikes, like thumbs down. Yeah. So we know, and it's, it's, that is one I think people are just really attached to, I don't know, kind of in the same way that people are attached to like Pluto's a planet, or we just have this attachment to the scientific method. And I think there's also though, there's like a misunderstanding about when we're saying don't teach a scientific method, we're not saying you don't teach your students how to design investigations. We're not saying you don't teach your students to um, analyze data. So there's, there's like a misunderstanding about What I guess what we mean when we say that don't teach a scientific method. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's, I feel like that's what we're kind of going to clarify here. Like, okay, don't teach a scientific method. Like, well, what do you do instead? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So Erin, I often see as the NGSS has kind of like been gaining traction and all, I do see a lot of people starting to say like, okay, I know I'm not supposed to teach a scientific method. So is CER the new thing? Or you know like there's this debate on like whether it's the scientific method or CER or science yes. practices.
1: So why don't you can you clarify that up for our audience? Okay so first of all CER is really just like covering one practice. maybe like sometimes we consider covering two practices mm-hmm. like um, you know it's really only for argumentation or some people use that CER format for um, constructing explanation.
0: Yeah yeah um, I think it's
1: yeah but it doesn't cover all of the science and engineering practices, it doesn't, it doesn't cover, um, analyzing and Well, I mean, like you could bring in analyzing and interpreting data, but it is not explicitly stated in that, in that
0: form. No. And you know, the thing is with CER, it's very much, it's not necessarily like a, I mean, it could be used as a formal assessment type of thing, but it's kind of what you do after students have learned. And that's not, that's not the only time you're supposed to bring in practices, you know? So it only really feels like that one role of like your students showing you what they know. Yeah. And maybe a little bit of clarifying that understanding through like argumentation and all that, but it's definitely not a replacement for using like all of the science practices in your classroom at all.
1: Well, and I think that, um, that, that teachers feel like it's like the conclusion part of the, like a formal lab report. And so if they teach them that and they're focusing on the practices, but it, just, yeah, there's, you're missing a lot of steps in there if that's what you're doing.
0: Yes, definitely.
1: Okay. So then CER is, yes,
0: it's a good thing to do, but it is not replacing, um, basically three-dimensional instruction or the science practices. There's more to it. So, you know, what we, what, what we are doing is we're focusing on the science and engineering practices and, um, and we'll talk about like, okay, so science and engineering practices, there are, are there seven or eight? I always get,
1: which, which number? Yeah, I, have there, I think there's eight practices in and seven. seven cross-cutting cross-cutting.
0: Okay. So there's eight practices and basically they encompass all of these many ways of working in science, right? So you have asking questions, you have developing models and there's more to it. It's like developing and using models, constructing explanations and designing solutions. Um, the analyzing evidence, analyzing, interpreting, I'm shortening these, um, it's right. my gist right now, but, um, argumentation, all of these. So there are these different Pieces of skills that scientists use. It's different from the scientific method because it's not linear. It's like a toolbox that you pull out the relevant skill. Now, the problem with the toolbox, Erin, you can take it over now. <laughs> okay.
1: So, one of the things that I'm seeing as a replacement is that we teach all of these practices at once. So instead of doing like a scientific method unit, we're doing like a science and engineering practice unit where you go through and you introduce the practices one at a time out of context. And you're just like kind of throwing everything at the kids all at once. Um, the problem with this is when you teach kids to use tools out of context, one, it, nothing really sticks very well. And two, I, I so I use this toolbox analogy like, if I went and I told my next door neighbor who has like zillions of tools, like, hey, I'm doing this project. Can you give me something to help me? And he handed me this, his entire toolbox. I would be completely and totally overwhelmed. I would not know where to start. However, if my super handy next door neighbor told me, here, use this particular tool and showed me how to use it, it would be super easy. So if I'm like hanging up a picture in my house and he hands me, you know, like, a screwdriver and like, you know, shows me how to do it, then I'll get really comfortable using that tool. And the next time that I need to use a screwdriver, I'll know what to do. And maybe I'll even feel brave enough to use like a power tool or something like that at some point. Um, But, but if he were to just give me everything all at once, it would be very difficult. Um, If, so if he, you know, taught me how to use that screwdriver and then you know, next time I needed a different tool for the job, and he showed me how to use that, then eventually I would come to know how to use all of the tools really well, but I wouldn't be overwhelmed. I would just get them in the context that I needed them, and I would learn how to use all of them really well. So that's yes. kind of the analogy I use.
0: Perfect. Yeah, exactly. Your, your, how they should be used is really in the moment as it's relevant to mm-hmm. what your students are doing, right? So, and that, you know, a lot of times there's questions about like, well, what, how does like 3D look in the classroom? And that's literally exactly how it looks. It's like, you have this problem or this task, like we need to understand this piece of content, or we need to explain this specific phenomena. And we take the science and engineering practice tool that we need. And we use that tool to understand that content or solve that problem or explain that phenomenon or whatever it is. And and that's what this three-dimensional teaching looks like on the day-to-day. It's literally just pairing the tool and the problem or the content or whatever. Mm -hmm. And obviously, you bring in the cross-cutting concepts, too. We are going to be talking about more on the cross-cutting concepts in our next season, um, starting in September. So if you're like, okay, I have two of the pieces, but now what I do with that third one, we'll get there. Um, But really, that's like how these are meant to be used. So in a three-dimensional classroom, you are seeing practices being used by your students every single day. So it's not, you know, the teacher analyzing the data. It's not the teacher designing the investigation. It's not the teacher asking the questions. It's literally the students doing that every single lesson.
1: That's. I'm glad that you brought that up because I have seen like um, the teachers doing, doing the practice like, yeah. oh, I made this model. You practice using yes. the model that I've created or... You know, something like that. So I'm glad that you said that students are the ones that are using the practice. Students, yes. Um, and you know, it is important to
0: to like recognize that in different parts of your lesson each day, different practices might come or different dimensions might come to the forefront. Mm-hmm. Like you might have half of your lesson where students are really heavy on analyzing data, and then maybe the focus shifts more toward okay, now let's focus on the content and the science ideas that that data is connected to. And so if you walked in at any given moment, one dimension might be more front and center than the others, but they still really should all be incorporated into your lessons, like in every single lesson. So it's not like this entire lesson is only about content and this entire lesson is only about the practices. It's definitely interwoven. Yeah,
1: definitely. Definitely, yeah.
0: Okay, so before we get into like kind of talking about how we actually prepare our students to use these practices and how we teach our students to use these practices, right? Because we're not teaching the scientific method, so what do we teach them instead? Um, I do want to just share very briefly how I think about my lesson planning, and I'm not going to say this is like the only right way because we can all do things differently. But this is a way that helps me ensure that I'm really I am bringing in three dimensions to all of my lessons, and. As much as I am always saying, like, it's not all about the content, I typically do start with the content idea. Uh, when I am planning a lesson, I, I do think about, well, what idea do I want my students to walk away understanding? Um, what idea is going to help them explain this phenomenon? Or what idea is going to help them, you know, solve this problem? And then once I have that content objective, so a lot of times it will it's a very like bland objective initially, like explain that organisms are made of cells. Okay. I mean, that's not like a active student. Um, you know, it's basically saying they're going to know that organisms are made of cells. I would not call it a good objective. Um, but I think about, okay, how could my students figure out that organisms are made of cells by using a science and engineering practice. And that's when I I just go through my list of practices and I kind of ask myself, does it make sense for them to develop, like would developing a model help them figure that out? Like, not really, you'd have to know that they're made of cells in order to develop develop a model. That doesn't make sense. Would carrying out an investigation? Okay, that might, like maybe they could look at different things under a microscope and they could say like, these are the living things and look, they all have these little cells and these are the non-living things and they don't have those things. Um, And so by looking at, designing an investigation, by carrying out an investigation, something like that, they could kind of discover, have an aha moment that all of these things had this in common and those things are called cells. And so now I know that organisms are made of cells. So I kind of just have my content and then I match up, um, the practice that's going to allow them to like uncover or discover that idea. And then obviously you are bringing in your cross concepts, like they might be looking for patterns, or we might be talking about scale and proportion and, okay, you can't see it at the eye level, but when we look at a microscope, it lets us see more and understand more, you know, and that's where you bring in that third dimension cross concepts. For me, that's how I, I typically plan. Um, but, but I, but it's, it's really the practice is what's helping my students get to the idea.
1: And yeah. The,
0: and that way the idea doesn't come from me. I don't have to tell my students organisms are made of cells. Right. They
1: right. come up with that idea. Yep, definitely. Yeah, I think um, I do something similar, but it, I, like you know, I'm always a little bit less linear than you because you're you're always like, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm kind of more fluffy-brained and just you know, kind of like it just kind of a picture forms in my head, and that's kind of how it goes for me. Um, but I basically do the same thing, except for I usually do a little bit of explicit instruction right before. Students get the practice or students use the practice if it's the first time that they're getting it. And that's not always the case. So I'll kind of talk about what that looks like. But um, so, like, what I do is I look at the NSTA matrix and I look at those subcomponents and I really pick out which subcomponent I want to use. And I figure out what the students need in order to be able to use just that one little piece. So um, there's like one piece of planning and carrying out investigations in middle school that says that they need to choose their own tools and kind of figure out like which tool is better given the situation. So, you know, maybe I'll do something like let them, you know, give them graduated cylinders and beakers and then, you know, have them do this investigation and then compare their data and see which ones, you know, got more reasonable data based on those tools that they use. And in that case, I probably wouldn't, you know, provide them, like, explicit information about, (laughs) about, you know, like, measurement and stuff like that. But if I were teaching them, like, designing a fair test, like, teaching them about variables, before I had them do that in class, I would provide a little explanation about independent and dependent variables and stuff like that so that they would understand um, I would also probably, because, you know, context matters, <laughs> We know, just want to yeah. be throwing stuff out, you know, randomly to students before we did that. Like I've said before, my students are generally relatively good at math. So when we look at graphs or, you know, something like that, you know, I can talk about the relationship between the variables without necessarily calling it that. So that yeah. I'm just providing them with that information about, about experimental design right before they need it.
0: Yeah, that's, see, that is, like, I, I I, don't do that, so that's why I'm really glad that you're sharing how you do that. Um, I'm I'm more like, how can I prepare them in this moment to do that, and, and, and I'll scaffold up and down or whatever, based on where their levels are. Um, but just, I, I typically don't, I don't know, haven't spent a lot of time doing, like, pre- I don't know, like kind of pre-teaching, like um, how Mm -hmm. to use the practice before we dive in. Um, But I definitely can see the value. And I think it's just, again, like everybody does things a little bit differently and whatever works for your students. Um, But so we were kind of talking about before we we got started. And uh, if you guys want to hear more about like how Aaron teaches some of these practices more explicitly, um, let us know, send us a message on Instagram or connect on Facebook or whatever. And we can add that to our fall schedule um, because I think that'd be something that Erin be really good at sharing yep. with you. Um, and then Erin, don't you have like some kind of resource on teachers pay teachers or something like that with um, like practices or? Yeah,
1: yeah. so um, so one of the things that I've been doing is trying to make it easier for teachers to incorporate the practices. So, like I said, the way that I do it in my classroom is a little bit less linear and a little bit more fluffy, um, but I've you know, created a resource for most of the science and engineering practices for middle school and some of you know the other grade levels. Um, you know, just kind of helping teachers do that, that first piece, that introduction piece. So I right. have that, both the cross concepts and science and engineering practices.
0: Perfect. So you could kind of incorporate that if you're like, okay, we're going to be developing models to understand the relationship between like earth, sun, moon tomorrow, right? the day before you just spend a little bit of time talking about like what models are right. and, and right. going through all that. Right. Yeah. That makes total sense. Um, one thing I do want to throw in too, before we Like And so we have kind of talked about how you have your, almost like your primary practice in a lesson that really lets you uncover the content, but there's always benefit. And and this is something I feel like if you are just starting out, like do not put pressure on yourself to do this. But if you are feeling like, okay, I'm ready to take it to the next level, you're going to start to notice as you're developing activity that, hey, I can bring in more than one practice or, you know, we're talking about. Um, maybe we're obtaining information from I have this really cool science article that I want them to read about this new study that happened, you know, and so that's obtaining information we're going to evaluate the claims, but then you're like oh but hey we could talk about the methodology that the scientists used, and we could talk about why they chose to, to collect that evidence, and why they did not collect other evidence or something like that. And you'll find yourself um, or you can even, you know, challenge yourself to think of like what additional practice could I kind of sprinkle in? And it might just be one question you talk about during discussion. It could be a prompt on like an organizer, but that's kind of like a way I think we can take it even to the next level with three-dimensional like approaches and teaching. Um, Also,
1: side note, I don't know if you can all hear my kids screaming in the (laughs) background. I can barely hear it, so I don't think they'll be okay. okay. (laughs) <laughs>
0: um, yeah, I'm not really sure what's going on out there, but I'm sure my husband has it under control. Yeah, yeah, <laughs>
1: sure. Um, I would also say it depends on what time in the school year that you're, you know, like it in the in the very beginning of the school year, I kind of start out with just like asking questions and then I bring in another science and engineering practice. And then I feel like that's a tool that we can use pretty much all year long. So. So once that tool has been introduced, then I can start intermingling them. And you, usually that happens, you know, like in the beginning of the second quarter and into the second semester, kids are starting to like become familiar with the practices. So mm-hmm. I can kind of throw a couple at them and they're not going to be overwhelmed.
0: Oh, that that's such a good point to bring up. Yeah, you definitely don't want to overwhelm. Even if you might be feeling ready, you don't right. you have to keep in right. mind that where your students are too. And so they might not um, be ready for that I I do think asking questions is one we can always bring in like literally at the end of every activity you can be like what else do you wonder now or like you know when you go back to your question board and I'm actually getting into our next episode which is going to be about asking like what do we do with our students questions and our students asking questions but um, but that is a good one that you can sprinkle in pretty easily because even if they're not great at the, you know, the practice of asking questions, like asking scientific questions, or questions that can be investigated in the classroom, or with your tools available, or any, they can still just ask questions, you know, right. pretty much right. anybody can ask questions, my, my two-year-old can ask questions, oh yeah, lots of questions, <laughs> so, oh my gosh, so much screaming, <laughs> so much screaming back there, Um, yeah, so I think that's kind of all we really talked about, or like, wanted to to share with you today. We really wanna encourage you to go beyond teaching the scientific method and that linear approach to science and instead just thinking about the science practices as this toolbox that you wanna pull out what's relevant when you need it and just build up your students kind of mastery of each tool. Yeah, sounds perfect. Okay. So as we are, we're going to end now because my kids are literally losing their minds outside. (laughs) Um, thanks so much for joining us and we will be back next week and we'll be talking about what do we do with our students questions. So. Sounds good. All right. Thanks so much guys. If you, um, like this podcast, please leave us a review. It helps iTunes like us more. I think Yeah. Uh, we appreciate it. And we would love to hear from you. Bye. Have a great one.
1: Making sure that your lessons are three-dimensional isn't always easy. While you don't need to include all three dimensions every single day, you do wanna make sure that each dimension is regularly addressed. I developed a really simple 3D planner to help keep me focused. It helps me track which pieces I'm using in my daily lesson plans. It only takes me five minutes to fill out and it helps me notice patterns in my own lesson planning. For example, when I first started using it, I noticed I wasn't including the cross-cutting concepts as often as I thought I was. Just by recognizing this, I was able to focus on this one piece and improve my lessons. Right now, you can grab the same template that I use for my own planning for free. Go to SaddlerScience.com 3D Planner to grab yours. That's sadlerscience.com 3D Planner.